0: Today, our guest is Nick Flattiger, youth pastor right here at Cedar Valley Church. In today's episode, we will talk about Nick's love for Minnesota Twins baseball, his messy inner battle for approval from others, and his passion for young people, and his God-sized dream for the youth in our community. Hey, welcome everybody to our Lean Into the Messy podcast. This is episode number four. My name is Amos Olivadis and I'm on the pastoral team here at Cedar Valley. If you're part of our church family, we are thrilled to have you listening. If Cedar Valley is not your church, welcome to the conversation. And if you don't even go to church, even better, you've made our day by listening in. Our podcast is a conversational podcast where we lean into the messy of life We all have some messy in life and we really don't like talking about it, but it's good to talk about it. There's a lot of healing that takes place when we talk about it. Our prayer is that by listening to this podcast today, you are encouraged to stay with it, to hold on to either start trusting God or continue trusting God, knowing that he is in control. So without further ado, Nick Flattiger, welcome to the podcast what's up what's up I'm nice really to have you to with here. us yeah it's nice to be had here i'm That's enjoying awesome. this nick uh everybody who's listening probably has heard of you if they're here at our church if they're not from our church they have no idea who you are he's a young man good looking six <laughs> foot five no you're what no five ten. Five nine. Five nine. Three quarters and three quarters with a fresh <laughs> fade East Bloomington boy, Egan boy. Nick, we're happy that you're here. Tell us a little bit about your wife and your daughter and your favorite food. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so my wife
1: is Natalie. She leads on the worship team quite a bit. She's the redhead. She's got a killer voice. Uh, And then we got Quinley, our almost two-year-old daughter. She's awesome. She's just a bundle of joy. She's running around clapping and screaming all the time. So we love having... Quinley and And when you
0: say running around, sorry to interrupt you. I always am seeing you or Natalie chasing you around. She runs, she runs all
1: over that lobby. She's crazy. She's really funny. Uh, She just loves being around people. And it's like once we drop her off in Tiny Valley, she never cries. She just go 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 straight after all the toys. All right, favorite food, favorite food, Um, euros. It's got to be euros. I love euros. So Europolis, Europolis, Euro Grill. Black Sea, there's a, a place called Black Sea the, that's a fire place. I would go
0: pretty much anywhere that has yeah. Euros, even awesome. Arby's has a good Euro. <laughs> Leave it to a young guy to like the fast food stuff. That's right. Hey, so Nick, one thing, uh, if so, if people know you at all, they know that you are unbelievably passionate about the Minnesota Twins. That's right, unfortunately, and probably baseball in general. Um, so Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what's your favorite all-time? Who is your favorite all-time twin? Maybe the most hated rival, the love for baseball. Where does that come from? Yeah.
1: I mean, hated rival's easy. I hate the Yankees with Good, just the, down to the core of my being. I hate the Yankees. But uh favorite twin, I would say either Torrey Hunter or Johan Santana. Because Tory Hunter, he brought that swagger. He was really fun to watch. He was exciting. He could hit, but... Yeah, he would just cover so much of the outfield, and it was so so there, entertaining to watch him jump walls and grab home runs. And aren't just, there moments
0: where Byron Buxton kind of reminds you of Torrey Hunter? Buxton might might be better at fielding, honestly, Like,
1: which is crazy to say because Torrey Hunter's got tons of gold gloves, but Buxton is that good. I love watching Buxton play yeah. when he actually plays. Um, but Johan, I mean, how do you not root for Johan just because he was like, the only twin for the longest time that was a pitcher that you could actually like cheer for, because we just got shelled for decades, and Johan Santana could strike some dudes out, and he wasn't super overpowering, but I'm a lefty, he's a lefty.
0: Gotta love Johan. That's awesome. So, something that is uh, inside information about Nick Mm -hmm. is I don't think you miss Minnesota Twin Games. No. I mean, daily.
1: Yep. If there's a Twins game on, I'm watching it. Whether it's Rain, shine, whatever, I'm watching.
0: Yeah, so he's got his TV or his phone or his iPad, Mm -hmm. whatever, just wherever he's at, there's the Twins game in the background. Got to watch him. Got to watch him. Yeah. Nick, you know, you had mentioned about your daughter, Q, being full of life. Nick, you're you're one of those guys, man, full of life. Uh, You bring the party to the room. You walk into a room, (laughs) that room is now a party because Nick is in the room. You are loved by so many, at least here within the – Cedar Valley Church, you are loved by so many, lots of friends. We're really thankful to have you uh, on our pastoral team serving as youth pastor. I appreciate uh, Most people don't know this, but really, this is your dream job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy because I'm
1: 25 years old and I feel like I've done everything in my power to throw away my dream, but here I am and I have my dream job. So cr- incredibly blessed, incredibly grateful because I couldn't have done it i yeah i literally tried to throw away my dream and god just kept placing it back in front of me and so i'm just super
0: grateful to be here really lucky to be here and you're 20 25 25 years old yep. so that's born in 2000 1997 uh, oh my that's, that's when my right. older brother graduated high school dang i was a sophomore in high school and that happened that's <laughs> that doesn't make me feel young that's for sure so nick uh yeah, give us all an, an overview of your life. Like, give us you know the the story of your life yeah. up till twenty five years old.
1: Yeah. So when I was young, uh, I was born in um, Georgia. I was I was probably two or three when we moved up here to Minnesota. So I grew up here. Uh, was raised in the Burnsville slash Egan area. And yeah, I was just a uh, we. My parents got married really young. Um, I think my my dad was twenty and my mom was eighteen. And so they got married fresh out of high school and he went off to the military. And so all my parents' friends were, or sorry, all my, all my friends' parents were like a decade older than my parents. And so it was kind of an interesting upbringing because all my friends had older parents and their parents usually had really good jobs. And so they had a lot of money, but my parents were really young. And so we, we weren't ever like broke, but we, we really didn't have a ton Of money growing up. Uh, My parents were really good at, at uh, making it feel like we still had some money though. It was kind of a interesting upbringing, but yeah, I learned from a pretty early age that being the funny guy got you some friends. And so I was always going out trying to be the funny guy, makes, make friends, make girls like me. And so that's what I would do. Middle school came around and yeah, that's where all your hormones are just raging. And so, yeah, you just, you give up who you are to please everybody around you and try to get girls to like you, try to get guys to like you. And it's just, yeah, it's just a time where you're just trying to be somebody you're not usually and figure out who you are. Um, yeah. And so middle school is kind of tough just because, yeah, you're just trying to figure out who you are and it's, it's tough, but then you get to high school, and I learned in high school that I could pitch a little bit. I was always trying to be the center fielder because um, of my love for Tory Hunter. But yeah, so baseball became my everything in high school, and I learned, wow, I'm left-handed. I should probably pitch because that's rare. And so, yeah, I got pretty good at pitching and ended up being on varsity uh, for my baseball team as a junior, which was cool. But yeah, that just took over my life, um, took over all of who I was, and my identity was tied up in baseball. I wanted to be a pro baseball player, and I was a lefty throwing probably eighty-one miles an hour, so that was never gonna, <laughs> never gonna really work. But I didn't know it at the time. But yeah, and then I, uh, I went to college to play baseball. Didn't work out the first time. Um, I ended up getting kicked off of my college baseball team because I went on a mission trip with my mom to Thailand and Vietnam, which was an incredible mission trip. But, yeah, um, went on that trip and missed too many practices, so my coach kicked me off the team, which was kind of ridiculous. But it is what it is. And this is a Christian university? No, this was a community college. And then after that point, I transferred over because Neil toured me around Northwestern, which is a Christian university. Then I uh, transferred over there that next following year and I played baseball there and then yeah, pursued ministry and I just always felt like since high school ministry would have been a cool, cool thing to chase after and do as a job. But baseball just completely took my mind off that. And it wasn't actually until I got kicked off that college team that I was reminded of that call that I had on my life since I was 17, 16 years old um, that, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do ministry because I was just so blessed with amazing youth leaders and youth pastors when I was a kid. Um, Brent Silkey and Micah McDonald and Josiah Keneally, like those guys poured into me even when I was a dumb kid running around doing dumb stuff, trying to please everybody and gain approval of everyone um, but God. And yeah, those guys just kept seeking me out and kept pouring into me, even though there wasn't much to show for it. Um, they just kept trying and yeah, I always thought like, I want to do that for other kids. I want to, I want to be the person that does that and doesn't give up on, on students that are not showing a lot of, a lot of progress. Um, yeah. So that was a really cool thing um, that happened to me when I was younger, but yeah, then I was pursuing a ministry degree at college. Got Uh, I got that degree. Um, it was, it was a fun time, a good, good era, lots of Lots of great friends.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I played baseball in college to mm-hmm. very low level college baseball. But I always remember my coach saying, enjoy this, boys, because mm-hmm. before you know it, you'll be playing church softball. And, and that's what we're I say that to say, <laughs> Nick and I just finished our first season of yep. church softball. Yep. By the way, just so you all know out there, Cedar Valley Sled Dogs, that's that is right. your local Bloomington church softball team. That's right and we're in the church league, and we, not have, pretty, we have been fun. eliminated by other churches. It was yeah. <laughs> so, much, so much fun. Um, but yeah, you're off to a great start here at Cedar mm-hmm. Valley. Um, a lot of things about you kids love, and you know, you're know, you known already for knowing kids' names, seeking mm-hmm. kids out, looking for the kid that's not connected, looking for the kid that doesn't have a friend, not in a group,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, and doing that. And I myself have a kid that's about to be 13 years old and in seventh grade. And so uh, I think I would understand the value of having a a youth pastor that is full of life and energy, but also very much godly and looking out for the best interests of our kids and teaching them about Christ and really just helping them through this season in their life. So you're off to a great start. Thank you. Uh, As you know, The purpose of this podcast is really to lean into the messy of life and then to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, People don't like talking about the messy, but we live in a day and age where the the more vulnerable we can be, the more authentic we can be in terms of, well, at least in considering our faith, the more we can live out our faith and and talk about some of our pains and and, and messy of life, Mm It just really helps other people; it gives them the courage to lean into what God would have for their life. So, you mentioned some things in your intro that uh, that we're going to really lean into, and one of those being the inner battle for approval. You said this a few different times. You're, you know, you kind of lost your bearings when it came to to what was happening. You were so focused in on making sure that people liked you, yeah, uh, lost sight of what God thought about you, mm-hmm. and so that inner battle for approval has been an ongoing battle for you. And uh, and that's something I think that uh, that I'd like to lean into with you. So, yeah, talk about yeah. that a little bit. How far back do you see that in your life? Where, where did that start? When did it kind yeah. of come to a head for you?
1: Yeah. Honestly, I don't even know when it really began. It's just kind of always been a part of me. Um, the biggest times that I can think of where I was really trying to gain approval was in sports. I think that probably enhanced that performance mentality where I knew if I excelled in sports, then I would like my friends and my dad would be like, Hey, you crushed that good job. And that's, that's kind of what I was seeking for so long was just people's approval of me. And I think that's what drew me to sports in a lot of ways. Um, because that's one way, I mean, you, you do something and you perform, if you do it right, then you get approval. And so I think that's probably where it began, but then, yeah, I mean, in middle school, I mean, everybody's trying to gain approval in middle school of everybody else. It's not until hopefully at high school that you start to figure out kind of who you are and um, what you want to do, things like that. But yeah, I mean, in high school still, it was, it was just, I wanted to be approved by my friends. So I would do stuff that I knew was wrong. um, And I did it for the sole purpose of being accepted by my community of baseball friends or my community of church friends, you know, there's always stuff that was going on. I, if I was doing the right things, it still wasn't for the right reasons. It was so that I would gain approval from my church friends or my pastors. And if I was wow. doing the wrong things, it was, it was just because I wanted to gain approval from my non-Christian friends. And so it was kind of funny. I was caught in this double life of trying to gain everybody's approval, but losing myself in the process because even the good things I was doing was I was doing them for the wrong reasons because I was still seeking after that approval. And it wasn't until college where all that stuff came to a head. Um, just because, you know, I mean, you know my story and we can get into that in deeper detail. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that mask has to fall eventually that this double life you're living, like something, one of them has to win out and yeah, it it continued into college. And, This whole time i started doing more of the right things but there were still little bad things that i was allowing to stay in my life i wasn't giving my whole self over to god and um one of those was the area of sexuality for sure and so i mean for the longest time i think since i was man in fifth or sixth grade i've i was addicted to pornography and so that that just ravaged my life um every every day i would be thinking about porn and The girlfriends I had, it's like that would affect my view of them because I was watching porn, and all the girls that would walk by in the hallways at in high school, it's like that affects my view because I'm looking at porn all the time, and so yeah, it just it really wreaked havoc on my view of women, on my view of myself, on my view of sex, and so that just really wrecked my life in a lot of ways, and that just kept going all the way through college, and during college, me and Natalie, my my wife, started dating. And it immediately was, was having an effect on that. And so, um, we both brought our own sin issues into that relationship. Um, and it resulted in us, you know, having sex before we were married and yeah, there was, it was this weird dynamic because like we both were wanting to be leaders in the church. We both wanted to be pastors, uh, uh, someday and I was in leadership at my school um, she was involved in a bunch of things at our school as well. And so we're supposed to be these leaders. We're supposed to be the ones who have all the right answers. And so it actually reinforced this, this need of, okay, we have to hide these things because, um, we're the ones that are supposed to have it all together. We're the ones that are supposed to have the answers. And so students would, because Natalie and I were both interning at Cedar Valley at the time. And so, students would come to us with questions and it's like, man, we're actually dealing with these same things, kids, but we can't tell you that. So, uh, yeah, this is what the Bible says and be on your way. And so it was a very, very unhealthy time in our lives. Um, not to say that God didn't still do amazing ministry at Cedar Valley youth while we were interning there, but Yeah, it was just tough because we couldn't get as... We couldn't be 100% vulnerable with our kids. We couldn't be 100% vulnerable with the students because that would result in us feeling like, well, we're going to get kicked out. We're going to probably get fired. And there's going to be all these other ramifications that happen. And so we have to just keep hiding this or try to quietly deal with it, which is just the funniest thing because we always convince ourselves that, oh, well, we can just deal with this quietly just amongst ourselves. We don't have to bring in anybody else. We don't have to bring in community, which is just the dumbest idea ever because everybody needs community and you need to be held accountable by friends and a community that loves you. But yeah, so that came to a head when Natalie and I, we found out uh, she was, she just turned 20. I was 23. Um, We found out that she was pregnant while attending our very conservative Christian uh, college and uh, had to tell our conservative Christian parents and tell our church that we were interning at that. We had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and we were interning at the church. Uh, we were terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, yeah, it was it was a really crazy, scary moment telling people. Um, we thought we probably would have gotten the boot from the church, probably would have gotten the boot from college. So we thought our lives were over.
0: Um, so, so up to this point yeah. in the story, it sounds like mm-hmm. something started maybe small in your heart as a child and then over the course of time it just began to compound oh absolutely like a snowball would going down a hill just little by little over the course of time different people parents pastors friends Mm -hmm. teachers mentors leaders all these different people that you are so trying Mm -hmm. to please catch their attention gain their approval Uh, Just which I think sounds exhausting, super exhausting exhausting to just always be paying attention to where you are, who you're around. What can you do to stick out to them? So that Mm -hmm. way they would recognize you say something as if it would satisfy even when they say it's still not enough. And to know that everywhere you go, this is happening. And to be honest, if we just pause on your story and kind of open up the story to everybody who's listening, man, that resonates with me and I'm sure it resonates with like 95% of people would have to say like, yeah, there's been a season in my life where I have just tried my best to gain the approval of other people. I mean, I, I think that would be a common thing that a lot of us deal with yeah. is just we do some things outside of the norm, outside of our, you know, outside of who we are just for the sake of getting someone's attention or, or yeah. gaining approval from other people, which can be very exhausting. But then it continues, and, and, you know, I believe that we are always facing a real enemy. I really mm-hmm. do believe that. I believe that, that the Bible, I believe it's true when, when the Bible says that he, is, uh, that he is a roaring lion looking who he's going to devour, like always yeah. on the prowl, and, and, he, and he does his best to, to get us caught in those moments. And it sounds like you're at the point of your story where like, gotcha, like yeah. like the wheels were falling off the wagon. And then there came a day where like, there are no, no more wheels. Yep. And you probably felt like that dream that I had as a young kid of being a youth pastor and making mm-hmm. a significant impact in people's lives at Cedar Valley, mm-hmm. like the reputation that I've worked so hard to earn
1: yeah.
0: uh, in people's eyes, it is over, like dead yep. and gone. I'm getting kicked out of a Christian university. I'm getting fired from a church. like like humiliation to Mm the highest degree i'm i'm but but that ain't the end of the story yeah matter of fact but there's a a beautiful piece of grace in this story that i can't wait for people to hear about yeah lean into that part of it
1: yeah absolutely and so it all came to a front and we were just our mind it felt like we had lived a year just in this 24-hour period trying to figure out who to tell, how to tell them, and just thinking about our future because it felt like the entire world was crashing down on us. And so we knew right away that we obviously had to tell our, our families, um, but we, we we told um, Parker Dickerson and Amy Dickerson, they were uh, the youth pastor uh, couple here at Cedar Valley before me, and they were our, our, like kind of like our mentor couple. Um, while Nat and I were interning. They kind of took us under their wing, showed us a lot about ministry. Just amazing family. Um, we go over to their house and Parker's just cooking up these steaks and they're really, really good steaks, but Natalie's not eating because <laughs> she's pregnant and feels just terribly sick. Um,
0: At any moment, yep. I could yak.
1: Yep. and so <laughs> Parker's like, yo, why aren't you eating these steaks? Like, these are good steaks. And Natalie kind of starts crying and, Parker name. You're like, okay, kids go downstairs. Like something's, something's happening here. And so we sit down in the living room and we just tell them our whole story, basically like what had happened and the fact that we were pregnant and they just cried with us for a long time. And they, they, they just encouraged the mess out of us. They were just like, Hey, this is not the end of your story. This is not the end of your life. like you, you will have to take a step back from interning for a while. But that doesn't mean that God's call is no longer on your life. That doesn't mean that you are never going to be in ministry. It doesn't mean any of those things that you're worried about right now. But what matters first and foremost is that you have a baby coming in this world. You need to get ready. And we love you. We want you to keep coming to Cedar Valley. We want you to be a part of our lives. We want you to come in and uh, be here on Sunday mornings, be visible. But don't don't just run away. Don't flee because... That happens far too often in these types of situations. And Parker just encouraged us and Amy just encouraged us for hours that night. And we were just, that was like the first glimmer of hope that we had. Because it was our, up to that point, we were just thinking our lives are over. Our lives are over. Our lives are over. And then there was this, the voice of, of truth just saying like, no, your lives aren't over. Like it's definitely changing, but like there's still that call on your life. And so that was just a crazy moment of, of grace and of hope. And, um, it led us to feel confident to telling pastor Neil and pastor Vicki. And, um, we even made a plan to tell the whole youth ministry on our last Wednesday night. Um, and I just remember we, we came into Neil and I, Neil and uh, Vicky's office and we're just sitting there and we explained some things and Neil, before we even get into the room, Neil's already crying. <laughs> And the first thing it goes is first before we get into anything like how are you guys doing. And at that moment, Natalie and I just break down and we're just sharing all of our deepest fears and Neil and Vicky are just crying there with us, hugging us, encouraging us, starting to get emotional already, but it was just a beautiful beautiful moment of grace because this this guy hired us on as as interns. To to do our job and to be representatives of Cedar Valley. And we ultimately failed royally, just terribly. And he's more he was more concerned, and Vicky was more concerned about us and our lives than any sort of outward appearance of, well, this intern got pregnant with his girlfriend. And so like now we have to deal with that public shame and things like that. It was just such a beautiful moment. And he encouraged us too. And he he said the same thing basically that He knows people that have gone through the same situations that have beautiful ministries. And he's like, your, your call is not over. Like Natalie, your call is not over. Like your guy, you guys are still called by God to do ministry. And he's like, you don't walk in here with your head held down. Like you hold that head high every time you walk in here and he goes, you're more than welcome. We're going to surround you with support. We're going to help you um, raise this kid. And yeah, it was just it was just a crazy experience. Um, that ultimately then we 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 it led to the youth night, which is just one of the most incredible nights I've ever experienced of grace. Because, well, like I kind of you kind of not you don't expect it because I didn't expect our leaders to respond that way. But like adults are logical, they're they're kind, they're like they can empathize a little more. Whereas kids, oftentimes are are not as rational. They can be pretty brutal. They can be pretty blunt and they can be unforgiving. And so we were really worried about this night. Um, But the whole night was basically dedicated to our story and saying, explaining how we had messed up and that we were going to have to be taking a step back from interning for a while, but that we love these kids that we, we want to stay in touch with these kids and we will be back. Um, in their lives after we've gone through like a season of uh, reconciliation and restoration. And so we go through that and Natalie and I are just crying puddles on the ground and these students and they're, they're just sobbing and I didn't think we meant that much to these kids, honestly. And so after the service, it was unbelievable the amount of students that came up and said, Hey, I'm having sex with my girlfriend and I really want to stop. I don't know what to do. And, or, or like, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with pornography and I really, I don't know where to go from here. And I think that was at that first moment was the realization that like this, this failure can ultimately be the source of our ministry. Like this failure can be the thing that like, because we're vulnerable about this, students will feel, be able to be vulnerable about their, their struggles with sexual identity, sexual activity, things like that. And it was like probably 10 kids who came up to me and talked talked to us about that stuff. And so, yeah, that's just something I'm super passionate about now is just battling pornography and, and battling sexual activity, things like that, that, that is happening way too often with yeah. our students. Um, and so, yeah, it's that, that, it was just an incredible time. And then COVID hit and everything just went crazy for a while. Um, probably about, I think a year to like the week after all that, We jumped back in, um, volunteering in 56, which was our fifth and sixth grade ministry, and then the youth ministry, and we've just
0: been going after it ever since. What a story. Yeah, incredible. I think there's a lot to say about you and Natalie Mm -hmm. making it it a point to just own it, to go before your leaders, to not run away, to not Mm -hmm. flee, to go before them, to confess your sin and to follow their leadership and, and the way they led you and the way they demonstrated faith uh, and grace and all that in, in you is, is awesome. I find that people who show great measures of grace are usually people who have received great measures of Mm -hmm. grace. For sure. Um, And I think you'll, you'll be that leader to others Mm -hmm. as you help kids navigate through mistakes that they make as well. Um, but I also think it's great. And, and I've heard Neil say he owned it. He owned it. Yeah. He confessed. He never ran away. He leaned into it. And uh, and God has blessed you. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with yeah. those uh, listening. Some may have uh, a little bit of the story. Now they've got the whole thing. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because I feel like we just kept repeating the story to everybody. Because for a long time I'm trying to gain everybody's approval. But then that completely shattered that facade. And so... It was like the first time I actually was living free, ironically, in my life, was being able to just share and be vulnerable about all my struggles in the past. And, um, yeah, it was just an incredible time because I just feel more alive than I've ever felt. That's awesome, Because I'm man. free of that stuff. And Good so, for you. Yeah.
0: Good for you. So we've got about, I'd say, three minutes or so. So this cool. will be like the big finish cool. uh, from, pardon the interruption on yeah. ESPN. <laughs> the clock is ticking. So I just got a couple questions for yeah. you. That's, I'd like people to kind of get this insight for you. So what are some things unique to Nick when it comes to your pastoral leadership?
1: Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that's I think unique to me is I I seriously want to know every single kid's name and remember it the next time they come because I I've just seen so many students that show up and are on the outskirts and then dip out and it's like they've never nobody ever knew their name. No no one ever took the chance to actually get to know them. And so I make sure whenever I see a student that I don't recognize on a Sunday morning, or a student aged person that comes through on a Wednesday night, and I just is walking through, I try to introduce myself and remember their name. I got a little note on my my phone that I write the names down, and I pray over them and try to remember them, um, remember their faces. I'm really good with faces. I'm getting better at names, and so yeah, that's one of the things that's unique to me. And then secondly, just lead out of like just be raw and and vulnerable um there's these kids get all the fake and glamored up versions of everything with social media and whatnot and so if you're gonna break through that you got to be raw you got to be authentic and you got to be vulnerable and so just just out yourself on all your sins just out yourself on all the things that you you're struggling with in the like in the moment not just oh this is a long distant past sin that I struggle with It's like no this is what I'm struggling with right now and students students respond to that they respond to authenticity because they live in a world that's just fake (laughs) and everyone's giving them and selling them a fake version of things
0: all right so what is a god-sized dream like man if this Mm -hmm. comes to fruition i'm dreaming it i know this might sound crazy but i'm dreaming it i want to see this happen for the people right here in our neighborhood and our community what is that dream yeah i would love love, love to see
1: us pack out that sanctuary on a, on a Wednesday night and not just for numbers sake, not just for one event, but because students in this neighborhood are being transformed by Jesus and students at Jefferson and Kennedy are completely turning their lives around where their teachers are calling us up and saying, yo, what happened to this kid? He was doing this. And now all of a sudden he's saying, oh, I went to Cedar Valley and he's inviting all his football buddies or his baseball buddies over to Cedar Valley because God's changed him. And so it's like, I want, I want to see the high schools completely turned on their heads because they have kids that are just passionate about Jesus and sharing their faith. Like that to me is such a beautiful thing because Jefferson and Kennedy of, I mean, they've been struggling for years, not, not because they're bad kids or anything like that, but it's just a hard place to live, especially post COVID. Like it's a hard time as a high school kid. And so they're trying to find answers in all the wrong places. And so if we, were to to, if we were to be able to be able to flip that high school on its head, that would be sweet. I would uh, love we, to. See we we've
0: got room for a couple thousand kids oh, yeah. up in that in that auditorium that. for sure. I'd love that. All right. Last question for you. How mm-hmm. can the listeners uh out there pray for you?
1: Yeah. I would say first and foremost, just wisdom uh with leading this ministry. I mean, we're in a spot where I think we're primed for growth and um I, I never want to be in the place where growth is outpacing my character. Um, and so just wisdom and, uh, growth for, for me spiritually, uh, to be able to lead these kids, but also just for more kids to be able to be emboldened and share their faith with their friends and just for this youth ministry to grow because things are happening in our students and not because of any clever marketing scheme or anything like that, but just genuine transformation happening in our students that we have here. And they're going and telling their friends and their friends are inviting their friends and yeah just the holy spirit to move in our
0: youth ministry i would love Uh, that. anybody you want to shout out to real quick
1: oh shout out i got a shout out to my girl nat i know i know (laughs) she would be sad if i didn't give her that shout out so natalie i love you thank you for sticking with me through all my craziness and uh you're the best mom in the world so yeah that's my shout out okay also shout out to brent silky for never giving up on me because that dude's the
0: man okay anybody else oh man uh shoot i guess not i guess not if it ain't rolling out then it's not rolling out yeah so hey those of you guys listening today thank you so much for taking the time to listen in on this podcast what a great treat it was for us to lean into your story nick and uh, we really do thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us Uh, i know that it's encouraged me Mm -hmm. it's encouraged me to be a leader that demonstrates grace with other people um, and I know that it's encouraged those who are listening today and maybe they find themselves today just with this ongoing battle of whatever. Mm. And, uh, and maybe they've been inspired today to just, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this thing in its tracks. I'm going to end it before it, you know, tries to end me. Yeah. Um, and I just really appreciate that. That's really the bullseye goal of this podcast to yeah. lean into the messy side of life and talk about it, expose it, get it out of us. So that way we can live freely Um, And so we look forward to our upcoming podcast next month. Another fantastic guest will lean into the messy of their life and learn and glean from them. Uh, As always, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, We love you. Pray that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Everybody take care. Adios.